welcome in. You're listening to Mount Hermeneutics, where three Marines talk about God, faith, and spirituality with a heavy lean on the Divine Council worldview. Now, this is not your grandma's Sunday school, nor is it always for the faint of heart. There's nothing about who we are or what we say that make us experts, but you better believe that we're going to have a take, and perhaps it won't suck. This week, we talked about talking about near-death experiences. Dre, have you actually had a near-death experience, or was that was that you saying that? No, I didn't. I was just saying that to be funny <laughs> and, and bring on bring on the topic. Uh, so, how did we get the closest, on The closest oh, thing I had to a near-death experience was was my stroke, and it, and it wasn't even that. That it, was it, probably it was near more, death. <laughs> it just wasn't a well, near-death experience in the sense of what people refer to as it. What I what I remember is is the panic, right? So here I am not able to move at all and I could hear and see everything around me mm-hmm. but had no way to you know make my motor skills do things and then it was I, like but, sleep paralysis almost exactly like that almost that's a very only much more awake descript- yeah but, but very awake right and everything's real and you can also feel things so so even though I can't move, I'm not paralyzed or, or like no nerve endings. Like, like part of the test they gave me every day was like, they they'd rub a you know the a, a pen across my leg with with the with the cap on, and like is this dull or sharp? And then they'd stab me with like a needle, but like is this dull or sharp? And I could tell them the difference. I still couldn't move my leg. But anyway, there was a. There was was that, so I'm assuming that was like a good sign. They're like, hey, the, yeah, really the nerves are there. You've just got something that's got to like reconnect itself. Yes, correct. So bit, I remember just a calm coming over me. Because I'm like, because I started thinking like, I'm like, well, I'm going to die right now. And I um, I haven't got to say goodbye to anybody. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm just up here in my underwear on my bed with my, even my son's downstairs. And I can't even say anything to him. And then I just had a calm come over me and almost, almost, I'm not going to say something whispered to me, but it had that feel of like, no, you're not going to die. Relax. Take some breaths. Um, you you can move your left hand at the wrist, and you can move your head. I could, I could tilt my head, and I could move my hand at the wrist, and my phone was close enough that I could shimmy it by me and just kind of get Delani on the phone, and then, and then you know, everything kind of moved from there. I wonder, so I, I, just, you know, kind of off topic, but I'm, I'm kind of, it's an interesting phone call, right? Because you probably weren't speaking real clearly. Not at all. And she was in our big truck. You've, you've ridden in that truck, mm-hmm. right? My, my Joe dirt truck. Yeah. And, uh, and she, well, I, she answers the phone. She's like, hello. And I'm like, uh, I've had a stroke. I think, I, I think I've had a stroke. Get home. And she's like, what? And I said it again. And she's like, I'm just coming home. Well, you probably sounded like that scene from Wolf of Wall Street, right? Where he, where he, you're like, yeah. I, I think she made the word stroke out. Yeah. And just hung up immediately, called 911. That's crazy. And then, and like burst in the house, and Cooper's like chilling on the couch. He's like, what the? <laughs> He's like, where's your dad? And she's like, uh, upstairs. <laughs> Why wouldn't she didn't think to like call and like see if anybody else was nearby or anything? Yeah, I, man, she's just like burst the door. Paramedics come through the door, and then the best part is when they when the paramedics got up there and they like started taking my blood pressure. I sat up like I was, like, I was <laughs> the like, Undertaker. <laughs> you're like, bong. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're like, ah. <laughs> so, so I just sat up and I was fine. 
I, I had like elevated blood pressure, but I was good. Like I had muscle memory, <laughs> and, so, and and they were like pissed. They're like this mother, <laughs> like like about to like throw their stuff down. And my wife's like, no, he's not okay. And like they're yeah, fine. Yeah, his his blood pressure. I think it was two sixty over something. <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's elevated. Elevated. <laughs> so, you should probably get to a hospital. So do you want to take? Look, if you ride in the ambulance, we're going to take you to the Naval Hospital, and then they're just going to refer you out, to. So it's an extra step. I'm like, I'll just have my wife drive me to, to the hospital in Encinitas, which is just, I don't know, 15 minutes down the road. And uh, as as they leave and pack up and the engine goes down the street, I fall on my face on the dog. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there with like, like, so I'm just laying there like, Oh, son of a bitch. Like, I lost all my superpowers for a second. And I'm like, face down, ass up. Like, <laughs> so I, get, like I thought you were okay. I'm like, I'm not okay. So then it's funny because then I got up again, like, just fine. And I was walking down the driveway and I was good to go until I got to, like, the car that, like, fell on the street. <laughs> I was like, ah. <laughs> I just had, like, spurts of okayness. <laughs> like you, like your brain's doing this kind of reboot or something. And it's like it, it was. It's it was, holding it on. It's wild. holding on. And they're like, all right, we're gonna leave. You're like, cool. You're like, dude. You know what? The the visual I'm having is that the, the Princess Bride. <laughs> After the guy's been mostly dead, and then like he's like, yeah. you know, flopping his hand around and stuff. So Dre wouldn't call for a Holocaust cloak. I I would I would call that a uh, a near death experience because I didn't I didn't like see the light right, or right i didn't code or anything yeah so yeah mm. you know so it's it, what i was going to talk about and i don't you know uh, it, we it i have to be i want to be careful about telling stories of other people in my family right that you know so i have a right. family member that had a, a near-death experience and the way it was described was you know it's that very atypical or rather that rather typical you know, it got really bright, it felt a certain way, it sounded a certain way, this and that. Um, and I, I, I'm, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, there's an entire, there's organizations and there's, you know, Facebook groups and TED Talks and all this stuff about that. Um, and they all seem to be very, or relatively consistent, um, at least those that have a religious background, right? Because I'm curious about, I, I'm curious about like what are NDEs like for atheists, confirmed atheists, and agnostics versus you know Christians or Jews or Muslims well, or whatever. Um, have they been studies, reported to be a conversion method as well? It has well, been. Atheist has NDE. Yeah. Like now I believe in God. <laughs> From all the studies I've read, and it's I, I didn't, I didn't reread anything extensively <laughs> right, it's like, from all the studies i've read and it was two <laughs> well no I, I mean it's something i have read in i something yeah. i've read up on over the years but it's not something i've like i couldn't like cite specific studies but they're easy to find if you just google mm -hmm. ndes yeah. studies um most of them are when when they're studied across cultures they typically comport with the cultural expectations of whoever's having them Yep. Like if you're yep. if you're a Christian, you see heaven and and Jesus, and if you're uh, a Hindu, you see you a whole see bunch Krishna of stuff or Varuna. <laughs> um, they got but, a lot of arms, uh, right? Um, but uh, I I don't know that that it, 
anything I read was that specific, but yeah, they, they see, they see Hindu stuff mm-hmm. if they're Hindu and if they're, they see Christian stuff if they're Christian and it's just nothing about them ever, nothing confirmed about them demonstrates them to be an actual like out of body supernatural experience of the, of the consciousness surviving right. the death of the body. All of it, all of it seems consistent with what you would expect if, I mean, it, it's a it's a dream when the yep. in in essence. Um, that's that's that was that, that's exactly that's exactly where I'm at on it. It, it feels like it, it seems to me as if it's more about your brain doing this kind of a reboot of what it subconsciously is expecting to have happen, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I've I've done a fair bit of reading about dreams, not about near death experiences, and there's a lot of you know physiological discussion about i think it was freud a lot of the freud stuff that talked about your brain you know it has that your cerebral fluid and it's a high there's a high sugar count glucose in it whatever and that's kind of what fuels the neurons and the synapses sending electrons around and all of that and that as you go through your day and you're more and more sleep deprived you you and and i think i think i'm recounting recounting this accurately that you start you're like kind of eating into all of the the nutrient of the cerebral fluid, and that's why your brain gets foggy because you don't have the the fuel for the electrical movements. And that dreams are essentially this. I, I think it was Freud. I have to look. I wish I wish we had a Jamie here, like on the Joe Rogan show. Jamie, look this up. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, Freud had a theory that your dreams are basically all of those thoughts being reabsorbed. Right, so all the thoughts you've had over the last day, two days, a week are kind of floating as like burned thoughts, and then they kind of reabsorb into your brain. And as it's passing back through, that's a part of what we think could be dreams. I mean, there's no way to know for sure, right? But it seems like a super plausible theory, um, which would then, to your point, synchronize with you know what's happening when people are having these NDEs because their brains like you know, damn near dead, right? And so it's even more than sleep because there's everything's being, you know, reassimilated and reconsumed. But I also think there's a there's a there's a it's the relationship between consciousness and time that I think is coming into play. Um, like wait time is not it, it's not strictly linear linear or uniform, either objectively or subjectively. Like we all we've all had those dreams that we it seems like it, it they go on for hours, um, but you're only asleep for like a minute, or you you go to sleep and you you uh, you have you have a dream and you then you 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 wake up and you find you've been asleep all night and then it was an eight hours had passed, but uh, it just felt like a moment since you since you fell asleep. Mm-hmm. I think as your as your consciousness is as your brain is reaching the end of its function your internal experience of time it's kind of like a drain like it like it's you're you're going down toward the end but it's sort of circling and kind of lapping back in on itself and i think as you're as you're nearing the end it's sort of i'm not i don't feel like i'm explaining this very well not bad uh, you're explaining but with within your experience of your your consciousness your brain reaching the end of its function and your consciousness reaching its end you're not experiencing time the way the people outside are right. who are calling it when you when you die yep i think it i think internally it, it it can it can feel like an eternity it's kind of like a black hole like when you're it's like interstellar like, yeah like it with 
to an observer, somebody getting sucked into a black hole, it looks like it's happening instantaneously to the person in the experience because gravity is so immense time has basically slowed to a crawl for you so you're kind of there for what seems like an eternity i think that's well and then even like like they talk about like astronauts age differently they're they're desynchronized from like if you took an astronaut that was a twin and then put them into like the space station for a year and then brought them back they would be like wildly different from a from a aging process point of view the higher the higher the gravity the 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 slower the i mean the the slower time goes mm-hmm. which is why if you put it if you put an atomic clock and send it into orbit where there's low or no gravity it it's going it, to it'll run faster than it and i a synchronized atomic clock on the ground yep. um, i mean and that's that's how time is different objectively but experiencing it subjectively within our consciousness we we experience time externally through our senses when you're when you're dreaming your consciousness is cut off from your senses and so you you're going by your own internal um pacing of time so if you're dying and your your consciousness is cut off from is is cut off from your from your body from your sense organs and even slowing down in your brain well, your experience of time is also slowing. So, mm-hmm. it, to to the person dying or about to be dead, you've kind of fallen into an an, an internal eternity. Yeah. So, uh, wasn't but, wasn't there a story in one of the books of the Bible about somebody that was dying, and then the, there's actually a story about what they experienced as they was as, as they were dying? Are you talking about Stephen. the parable of the rich man Stephen. and Lazarus? Stephen. Stephen in Acts. Well, he had a vision of the of the Trinity, but it wasn't of the afterlife. We we presuppose that. That's not you're, right. uh, you're 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 missing the point of my my point. The story of Stephen is about something that he experienced as he was dying, and it's odd because how do we know what he was experiencing as he was dying? Um, well, he if you look at the actual text, it says that he looks up and he saw. He, I think he. I think he declared declared what he, he saw. Like he, he said, saw. I, he saw the. He glory. said, he "I see." He the said, glory "I of God." Jesus at his right hand side. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He had some other descriptions as well. That's Acts chapter but, eight. But I, I I do find it interesting that there's been what ten instances of of being risen from the dead throughout the Bible between Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, Lazarus, Paul, uh, well, Jesus rose Lazarus, right? So all the people that Jesus raised, um, uh, anyway, you, especially Lazarus, that's, that's a really interesting story. The guy was dead for four days. Mm-hmm. And even in a, in a, in a text that where people are very deep into the supernatural world, there's no report on what he saw. So right. it's like, like, wait, what? That's a good point. That's, then, a, that's actually an interesting point. You're right. It wasn't like he so, was, he wasn't like acting like Enoch talking about how he was walking around with God and having conversations right. and stuff. He was just like. And uh, an important distinction, Enoch didn't die. So it's not even, he's not even describing he? an afterlife. Didn't he? Are you are you in the and I'm, this is a question? Are you in the camp that Enoch ascended? Uh, that's that's the understanding. It's kind of it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of questionable, right? Because it just says he took him away. We don't know if he died somewhere else or not, right? 
Well, uh, according to the Book of Enoch, though he he was right. and, which I don't I don't subscribe to I, as scriptural. That's why I asked the but, question. Right. But the point is that's that's how ancient readers understood that. So, they understood it to be pretty much in the same terms. Oh, I agree. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, so I, yeah. I have a this this takes me to a direct question. Um, and I've been, this is actually completely off. So for the listeners at home, we do a little bit of brainstorming about like kind of how to guide the conversation. And this is, this is wholly not where we actually intended for it to go, but this is a topic I've been wanting to bring up and it makes a lot of sense right here. So I'm going to, I'm going to swing us off the highway onto a different highway. So guys, I'm going to use the fancy words and then I'll try to describe it with my layman's understanding for the audience. And then Brian can, can correct me and then we can get into the question. Sola Scriptura versus Prima Scriptura. Like, where, where, where do we all land on that, right? So, layman, super pointy, grunty for those at home. Sola Scriptura means only the words in the Bible, in the officially recognized canon, are inspired by God, period. I'll stop. Prima Scriptura means there could be other things that exist that are inspired, but they take second seat, second place to the Bible. So the Bible comes first, and then there can be other things that can become inspired later on. Um, so Brian, correct me if I'm not super simply accurate in my understanding of those two phrases or those two terms. First of all, um, yeah, I think I think that's e easy enough, way. right? Just for now, for, for general conversation. Just for just as a technical observation, I don't I don't think there's a single universally agreed upon definition of. Of either that's of those necessarily, but but I'd say that's common. That's that's the general idea. Yeah. And and this came up. I was watching just to be really really and to be fair. And I like to cross reference other you know inputs and and uh, ideas that I come up with or that we're coming up with. As we talk about these things. I was watching a video a vlog from uh, Dr. Orton, Gavin Orton, discussing. Um, the conversion from Protestantism to Catholicism of uh, Cameron, right? So in that vlog, this Prima Scriptura versus Sola Scriptura came up. And I don't remember the specific context of why it came up in that vlog, but it caused me to kind of put a lot of thought into it, right? And so here's my question. One, where do the three of us come down on that? Um and here's what I thought was interesting that I'd never thought of before. So, and again, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be as um, respectful and, um, you know, charitable as I can because and you'll understand why I'm saying this as I get into this. So, as a Protestant, as a individual that was raised Southern Baptist, um, <clears throat> I tend to have always had a relatively I don't, know, I don't want to say negative, but just a different view than the way that Catholics look at things, right? <laughs> so in Catholicism, there tends, at least from my perspective, seems to be a lot of a lot more prima scriptura versus sola scriptura, right? There's a lot of Catholic rites and rituals and 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 uh, traditions that becomes part of the religion that's clearly not directly written in the Bible, right? Um, but they, they, there was a point brought up that was brought up relative to Cameron's conversion about the fact that God can continue to work through people, and if He's working through someone, and uh, you know, 
use a be really you know hyper specific uh, Mother Teresa, right? There's probably a lot of stuff that Mother Teresa did that was inspired. Maybe not. Maybe so, right? If anything that she did was inspired, would it not be worthy of being treated as a religious thing? Whether it's an action, a statement, words, you know, whatever. And it actually got me thinking about it because I'd never thought about it in that perspective. I've always been like, Ugh, if it's not in the Bible, like, why are you doing it? That's ridiculous, right? But after I kind of took a step back and, and thought about it, it, it kind of struck me that, you know, <clears throat> there's no reason that there couldn't be more books added to the Bible. And I'm not talking about the Apocrypha. I'm talking about modern books. Like, why is it that we locked the Bible off after a point in time and just arbitrarily said, this is the last book and we're not going to add any more books? How do we know that God isn't inspiring authorship of, let's say, C.S. Lewis? Maybe something that he's written should be included. There should be the Gospel of C.S. Lewis. I mean, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be flip or light about this. I'm being hyper serious, by the way. No, I, I think that's I think that's a worthwhile question. That, and, but I think the I think the answer of to that question, I think it I think it exposes a lot of uh, inaccurate assumptions that we bring to this question. And I'm not I'm like not talking about I'm not talking about you. No, it's, I'm, I'm, I, I, I threw a curveball at you. So I mean, this is this is a super unstructured yeah, conversation. I, like it's it's been something that I've, I have like four or five notes on my desk about sola scriptura versus well, prima scriptura. So, well, surprising neither of you, and probably not. Any you wrote of a blog listeners. about this. I wrote a blog. I wrote a few actually. <laughs> but um, um, so the way that Christians talk about sola scriptura, um, I think it's wrong for one thing, but if we go back 500 years ago, you know, Sola Scriptura, of course, was a slogan from the Protestant Reformation. It, it's, it kind of frames the debate they were having at the time, and it's, it's still kind of going on with cap, between Protestants and Catholics. You know, uh, where does it's, a big, the word, it's a big Martin Luther thing, right? To be, right. Yeah. Is, it, is it? I don't think he came up the, with that slogan. But, but no, but I'm saying you're, but this argument you're talking about yeah, was that from that but, time frame, yeah. Yeah, basically, uh, does authority lie in the scripture or does it lie in the church? That's um, kind that of canonized sort of, yeah. The, yeah. That canonized the scripture. Catholics would say, well, it's with the church because right. we're the ones who canonized it, and we and and it's our interpretations that should should guide your reading. And by the way, for some perspective, it, you know, they burned people at the stake for translating it into the vernacular. Mm -hmm. Like they had a monopoly on it. Yeah, my man Erasmus was, was fighting the good yeah. fight over this thing. They 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 only you know they would re they would read it in churches in Latin, which only the clergy understood, and then they kind of depended on the clergy to to tell them what it meant. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, is it is it in is it in the scripture? And Protestants resoundingly say it's in the scripture, not in the church. And I think right. that that debate makes sense, and those terms make sense for for the time. But I, the way it's used today, I think it first it's a false dichotomy. That's um, that's that's kind of where I was coming at. To be honest, right. I, I, to me it's so, like they created this either or, and it's like, well, what about something in the middle? Like it's 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 the, it's it's God and it's the Holy Spirit that's kind right. of it, supposedly it, in, in inspiring this, right? Yeah, the the church, the 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 scripture is authoritative, um, precisely because it is the product of the church and its original iteration. 
and that the that, church being the original church, not the Roman yeah, Catholic we, Church, but like we, the 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 Jesus we, and James right. and Peter and right. and that kind of thing. Ca- yeah, Catholics would deny that would deny the distinction you just made, but I I affirm it. Um, yeah, how I mean, can you affirm that distinction when the church lived on? And most of the stuff that is in scripture is very much post the disciples. I will address that. Um, I want to address that, but I'm going to, I was going to, I was going to catch that along the way from what I was about to say. Okay, um, so that's 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 my question there. Yeah. Like, that's that's not the and, and Dre, to be clear, to be clear, what you asked, and I'm I, I, I'm not going to derail you, Brian, but this was part of what you guys remember when I brought up the whole thing about the Apostles' Creed that I was kind of digging into and I was questioning. One line in the Apostles' Creed is, "I believe in the in the in the the Catholic Church," and I was like. Well, and I was like, but I don't believe. And yeah, to Brian's point, it's the it's the broad Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, but lower, but yeah, that's Catholic. Not yeah, sure. yeah, not big C Catholic. Yeah, but um, um, well, as one as one quick aside, the way that one of the ways we abuse that abuse that today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to my my previous point, but this is a lot quicker. Like when I when I tell people about the the Divine Council worldview or or any other ancient Near Eastern cultural information that should inform our, our reading of the Bible, a lot of a lot of Christians I meet, well that's you know, I, I you know, I believe in solo scripture. I don't need anything outside the Bible mm-hmm. to, to understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yes you do. I mean you can you the Bible you the Bible doesn't give you instructions in how to read. Mm-mm. You have, you have to get that from there was there was a lot of expectation of of, of prior yeah. knowledge and perspective going into it for sure right and the Bible but, itself makes numerous references to to documents that are not in the Bible and you you find it throughout it, you know is it not written in the book of Jashar is this is this not written in the in the book of the wars of, of Yahweh mm-hmm. is this not book written in the book of the in the uh, the Enoch. writings of the seers or the book of the kings and yeah Enoch looms very large mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think it's so much that the book of Enoch was in their mind when they were writing the New Testament I think the book of Enoch is valuable because it preserves the un- the common understanding of the backstory there um I, I just feel like it's one of those things it's like the three of us don't have a conversation without assuming that we get a reference to you know a, a Quentin Tarantino film right like we know each other and we know we've seen these movies so if we make a joke about Zed's dead like we don't have to be like you know that's from Pulp Fiction right in the sequence right. when you know this and this and this happens like and to me that's as simple as everybody knew the book of Enoch so if you make a, a casual allusion to it everybody's like oh yeah 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 the stuff about the watchers and the giants and the nephilim and all well, that stuff right well it, it, but, it's kind of it's kind of like also when we we talk about even a- afterlife and and life and unless you understand what ancient Jews thought happened to the dead when they died compared to the platonic viewpoint of what what the what the hellenist people in paul's time thought happened to people when they died i'm not trying to be funny you meant platonist not platonic that is what i mean (laughs) well but that that's a that's a fair way to say it platonic is fine i I know but i I mean they don't don't get to have sex but it but it sounds like Dre just wants to be friends. Right. So. <laughs> but, uh, listen, we, they just got put in the friend zone. Like, what happened? Listen, listen fellas. <laughs> I love you. But, uh, love but you yeah, too, without, no? without that context, 
you know, you start reading Paul, you're like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. And, and, and he assumed that they knew what he was talking mm-hmm. about because yeah. they were just letters that he, that he wrote yeah. to certain churches. Mm-hmm. Right. But go, go right. ahead, Brian. Yeah. So, um, um, but yeah, to your, uh, trying to, trying to remember where, uh, where I left off there. Um, oh, um, why is it what sola scriptura and it's a false distinction because it's the, it's the product of the original church. Um, and the reason these, if, if you read the early church fathers um, and the discussions they, they had about which books were canonical and which weren't, it was always, it always revolved around, did it connect back to an apostle? Um, I feel like I'm not explaining this in the, in a very efficient way, but, um, but it's well, funny because you're explaining it to us who we know that that's, well, no, yeah. but I mean, like, so I think, I think, I mean, I think we're, we, we, it's probably good enough as a, is a, is a base explanation, right? Well, to your, to your question though, about why do, we, why did we cut it off? Why do, why don't we, why don't mm-hmm. we keep adding books to the Bible? Mm-hmm. Well, it, and, and by the way, real to, quick before you, because, so you're not addressing something that I think is important to address. It's not because of the last three sentences in the Bible. Oh yeah, oh that's a pet peeve of mine. I know. Yeah. I, I, so I just threw you the softball. Yeah, that absolutely <laughs> rankles me when people like the Book of Revelation. Don't add to the words of the prophecy. It's talking about the Book of Revelation. Right. It's not talking about the Bible. Um, yeah. But um, well, and people, it's funny because talk, when I've tried to explain that to people, they're like, "That's not what it says." It right there, and I'm like, "But do you, so?" Like, I said, "Let use critical thinking for a second. Were these books written in chronological sequential order?" Before they were assembled into the Bible, or were they written separately and then put into the Bible, and when they then they go, ooh, and I'm like, <laughs> so are you trying to tell me that that when when John was having these these prophet these prophetic visions and he wrote them all down, he knew this was going to be the last book in a Bible in a book that hadn't been curated yet? <laughs> like, come on, like, yeah, well, and they had other books that they. Uh were kind of contenders or that they regarded as, as canonical, like the shepherd of Hermas mm-hmm. um, that was considered uh, in a lot of corners of the church. I was considered scripture. What about Jubilee? When Athanasius. Wouldn't the book of Jubilee um, in for a while? Well, because uh, wasn't there like a 1611 Bible that had a whole bunch of other books that got ripped out? Um, well, and I don't want to turn this into a canon conversation because we can make that a whole separate conversation. But I was—it was more to the part about—is there? Let me let, let me redirect because I think we're going to go down a, into a too deep of a rabbit hole here. No, I, I think I think well, when he was talking about contenders, I mean there was there was a well, me, view of Revelation, right? The apocalypse. Well, there's more than one. Yeah, there's was, more than one. Was, yeah, was was contemporary at that time, and they almost say the same thing. Well, fact, go ahead. For the most part, they knew that the apocalypse of Peter was very was too late to have been written by Peter, and so it wasn't widely regarded as scriptural. But the the the, the thinking was when Athanasius, Athanasius of Alexandria, he was he was the bishop in uh, in the fourth century who right. succeeded Alexander, who was a, a major figure at the Council of Nicaea. Athanasius is often referred to as the father of the canon because in his thirty seventh festal letter. He wrote. Uh, he provided the first list of of the twenty seven books that we now regard as canonical in the New Testament, and his reasoning is is pretty representative of the of the consistent reasoning of the church 
from the time of the apostles, which is that if it was if it was written by an apostle, then that made it canonical. But if it if it but because the shepherd of Hermas, he specifically said he specifically says something that places him after the date. Like he says something about uh, how his his brother knew knew the last apostle and became bishop before the last apostle died. So he made he makes it clear that he is not an apostle, isn't the disciple of an apostle, never been an apostle. So he's not he's not in that direct line of apostolic authority. And Didn't so stop Paul. Do you want to, do you want to do that now? Or? <laughs> no, it's okay. Go ahead. Okay. Well, <laughs> Paul was an apostle. Was he? The uh, do you want to do? Are we, do you want no, to do we, that? we gotta stay on a train of thought. We can't just jump around that fast. Like we're too deep <laughs> okay, into this ahead. now. Go ahead. Yes, Paul was an apostle. We we're gonna uh, and just okay. Very well. Sneak preview. Well, sneak preview for the for the listeners. This will be a thing that comes up. Look, t- stay tuned for that. But um, okay. Here's a better way to explain it. People often talk about this. It, the inspiration is in the scripture and like the writers of scripture existed for the purpose of producing scripture for us. If you read Romans though, which is scripture and I'm not denying that it's scripture, he writes to them. And I think this is bear with me here and, and, and indulge me for a second. Cause this is pretty, this is pretty important. Um, First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I served in my spirit in preaching the gospel of the Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he goes on to basically lay out the entire rationale and, and, and thinking underlying the gospel, including its 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 rationale from uh, natural theology and classical apologetics, but <clears throat> Paul clearly thought that being there among the Romans in person was going to be of more value than the letter he was writing. He was writing the letter in lieu of a personal visit. Of course, his letter is, is of inestimable value to us because it is, so, it is sacred scripture. Um, it is divinely inspired, but it's Paul was not a means to an end to getting us the letter to the Romans. The letter to the Romans is a means to the end of getting us closer to Paul, the person who was handpicked by Jesus Christ to represent him. If you believe the book of Acts, which I do. Um, but, um, and that's kind of a reversal of the common, our common way of thinking about scripture and the idea of sola scriptura in, in the early church. There are two places where Paul lists the, uh, the 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 offices of the church, and he says God, Christ is first of all appointed prophet, uh, apostles, second prophets, third workers of miracles, and teachers and evangelists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's another list where he he ha- it's a it's a different list, but he still ranks apostles first, followed by prophets. A prophet 
is defined as a as a as a spokesperson for God. God has revealed Himself directly to this person and appointed them to speak for Him. Yet, so you'd think an, a prophet would rank higher than a and an apostle, but apostles ranked first, and an apostle is defined as an an eyewitness to Jesus. Um, the the Greek word is martyr, which is we it has certain con has religious connotations today, but at the time it was just a it, it was it was a secular legal historical term. It it meant literally a, somebody who who brings testimony, as in a court of law, and historians really? like uh, interesting. like Polybius. Yeah, and, we have a lot of words like that that, that we we've kind of just transferred into theology words when they were just normal vernacular back in the day. Right, and I, like, and like I the word that, gospel itself. Yeah, like, it, the, like, it, like the Romans had announcements all the time, and that's all it meant was announcement. Yeah. Right. Well, it. Uh, but yeah, test. W w today we talk about giving our testimony, and and you know you don't want to do that. You'll, it'll hurt your witness. Um, which it's. I'm tempted to say it's a pet peeve of mine, but tempted kind of to kind of well to, to kind of take the edge off of it. Um, but that would kind of trivialize it. And I, I think it, I think it lends itself to a lot of confusion. We can't give our testimony today in anything resembling the sense that the apostles did when they talked about giving their testimony and being witnesses, i.e., martyrs. That it, it it had that technical sense of being a there. They were giving testimony about events. Mm -hmm. The the minimal when they were when they were replacing Judas as one of the twelve, the minimal requirement to be a candidate was that you had, well, first of all, the job description of an apostle was to be a, an eye, a witness with us of his resurrection. One of the minimal requirements was that you had to have been there with them from the beginning, starting with John's baptism, because <coughs> they were they were. Why? What's that look? All of them were there when John was baptized. No, when John baptized Jesus. I know. When they, you, I, no, when they, I, you just made a point. I'm just, I'm just trying to clarify. You just made a point that a rule to being an apostle was that you had to have been there from the beginning, all the way back to when John was baptized. But they weren't all there when John was baptized. Well, it, it says John's baptism, and just to clarify, it's the minimal requirement to be one of the twelve, which is is different. The whole, but. I, I've, in context, I think it means either to see Jesus being baptized by John, like at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, or a lot of the disciples had been disciples of John first. And when right. they say John's baptism, they are talking about the movement so, made by John. But, so, so, but so, let me. We're we're jumping around a little bit. I want to be a little directive here with this because we're. Well, hang on. No, I need this is important. Okay. Where is this in the Bible? Acts chapter 1. When they're replacing Judas. Yes. So they sat down together and came up with this. Yes. All of the other uh, apostles did. Well, there are about 120 of them in Jerusalem in the days before. It was like right between his ascension and the, uh, the day of Pentecost. So it would have been like a span of a week. And it says... Uh, 
Uh, Jesus ascended. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group of number about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared our ministry. Uh, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, etc., etc. Uh, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And then they nominated uh, Barsabas and Matthias, and they chose Matthias by lot, and he replaced the uh, Judas among on the twelve. But the, the point of it is that the job description was to bear witness to the resurrection, and the minimal requirement was being with them the whole time the Lord Jesus was among us. Whether it's when Jesus was Jesus was baptized, or whether they were disciples of John, I don't, it doesn't really matter for our purposes. The point of it was that the point, their job description was to be an eyewitness. Now, by the time of Paul, the the term apostle, when Jesus chose the twelve and designated them apostles, the the word just meant those who were sent. Um. Within the early church movement, the the meaning of apostle kind of narrowed, but the membership expanded to include anyone who had been an, an eyewitness of Jesus. In First Corinthians nine, uh, so, Paul says, so so Mary should be an apostle then. She probably was, yeah. Um, Paul says uh, in First Corinthians nine, "Am I not free? Am, am I am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord?" And later on, when he gives, and he reminds him of the creed. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which I have taken your, on which you have taken your stand. Um, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance: that the Messiah died for our sins, according to, according to the scriptures; that he was buried; that he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures; that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve; then he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And then he goes on to talk about how he was, he, Jesus appeared to him also as the one abnormally born. And then he ends with, whether then it was I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. So the, uh, the, the they preached and what we preached, and um, he's referring to a larger group than just the twelve, Obviously, the meaning of apostle had expanded to include the 500, um, and presumably the women at the tomb and anybody else who saw him. And the 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 picture that you get from reading Paul's letters and from uh, the Gospels themselves and the, the early church fathers is that the people who had been witnesses to Jesus, they had been traveling around the the, the Mediterranean world visiting these communities of Christians that had been founded by apostles. And they were, you know, they were kind of special guest speakers, and they would give their story of Jesus, and they were regarded as as apostles. Whereas the twelve were a, they were they were the ringleaders. They were kind of the 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 custodians of the main tradition that was kind of under their kind of control and 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 standardization. But anybody who had seen Jesus, of course, would have been a valued guest, and people would have wanted to hear what they had to say. And so by the time the Gospels were written, there there are certain cues within the Gospels that these were originally uh, what scholars call oral traditions, but that 
the way that's used, it's often misleading. They make, it makes it sound like these were just sort of anonymous stories that were passed on in telephone game fashion. But really, they were they were told by named eyewitnesses. Like when you read about how uh, Jesus went to, to the home of the Jairus, the synagogue ruler, to heal his daughter. Um, well, he's named in, in the gospel account because Jairus had been going around telling the story to the churches of when Jesus healed his daughter. And so uh, that's how they knew who that was. And so when when it was written in the Gospels and they uh, they got their their written copies, they didn't you know it didn't matter to them who had written it because this this like who actually put pen to paper and inscribed it because they'd already heard this story from Jairus himself, and so they knew where it came from. And the actual written authorship mattered far less than who was the source of the story. Um, but when when Paul ranks apostles above prophets, he's it's it kind of a and when you see their emphasis on eyewitness testimony, and this this is what defines an apostle, and this is what makes somebody's story credible. Um, the bottom line is that the new the the authority of the New Testament is predicated on its historical authenticity. Um. First and foremost, and but the fact that this is the the historical account of God intervening in history and sending His Son to represent no, I, Him. I, to, to I get that. I mean, so that was so for. I mean, so that was a rather long-winded response to my question, and I get it. But you could have been as simple as to say because the entire New Testament was about Jesus actually being on Earth and the people that saw Him. And that's why that part of the Bible ended, which is so. My simple point is, why couldn't there be a third, a third section, the newer Testament, well, right, or the the sequel after the you know we have the original trilogy and the new well, trilogy, and now we have the sequel, the 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 third trilogy. I don't know. I just the the question is it's broad, and I'm not trying to be like simple with my question, right? But there's probably been well, a whole lot of really good thought and authorship about. God and 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 you know. Well, I guess all question, of those things. Well, my question would be: Well, why why would it need to be canonized? Like, why do we need? Like, why do we need to? I, I didn't say it needed to be. It, that's that's not a, that's not an argument as to why not though. Like, for if the question is why don't we open up the canon to put more books, and you go, well, why do we need it? Well, that was that's not an answer. Like, well. And the simple answer could be, I don't know, for something that's more recent than freaking three thousand years old. Well, but what is, but what is the? Uh, that's not a, that's a legitimate question that needs an answer to why. What but is but you're, you're answering a question with a question, and that's horseshit. Well, but when you ask why, why can't we add to the canon? My question is, well, why? What is the purpose of canonizing anything in the first place? Your question answers itself when you consider that. No, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't. All that tells me is you're 100 percent against the concept, and so you're 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 like attacking the idea okay. rather than answering hey, the question. Hold on. Okay. I, no, I'm not attacking the idea. You just I, did, I'm, Brian. I'm probing the premises of your question. Here, hey, listen to me here. I, 
you need if you want your question answered, you have to define your terms, and I'm asking you to do that. My question: what My terms the, are really simple. Is it not possible not. that there have been inspired writings about okay. God since I don't know, okay, 400 define, A.D. or define even inspired. inspired speeches? Oh, okay, define that. What do you mean by inspired? Holy Spirit powered. Um, God, God speaking to somebody directly, a living prophet. Have we had prophets okay. since since okay, the you, Bible, since the last book of the Bible? Okay, how do how do you know if that's happened? I don't because nobody will sit down and have a conversation about it. Like, I'm having, how do we? How not, do us, not, not us. Not us. I'm I'm talking about anybody else. Like, like how do we? So I I, I can't okay. know the answer because everybody acts as if it's off it's it's off limits from a conversation point of view. That, that's not what I'm doing, though. I'm not you're saying you. Them. I'm saying I'm okay. saying people in general. But when I ask you, like, like, how do you define inspired, and what it, what would be the purpose of including it in the scripture? That's not a rhetorical question. Uh, I think. Well, I, I, okay. I, well, let me let me. Can I ask this then? What what do you define, Brian, inspired, and why was that in the canon? Um. The purpose of the New Testament. No, no, forget the New Testament. Forget the New Testament, because I'm clear on what you're saying on the New Testament. You had to have been there, seen it, experienced it, done it. Cool. Okay. That wasn't the rules for the Old Testament. Okay, let's say for the sake of argument that the three of us are 100% fully convinced that C.S. Lewis is inspired. Sure. Okay. That, that's a fair. It's a fair one. Yeah, why not pick him? Actually, yeah. actually a, be, a better example would be Athanasius, because he's actually called... The thirteenth apostle. Okay, um, sure. But he lived in the fourth century. He never sure. met Jesus. Sure. But I but I consider his his writings to have been inspired. Sure. How would we know his writings are inspired? How do we know any of them are? Because they connect us in history back to the people who knew Jesus. What? No, Old Testament. Because how do we know that? How do we know that that anything <laughs> Noah wrote was inspired? Well, Noah didn't write anything, but there is an answer to your question. How do we know? How do we know anything? Who any of the psalmists were inspired? David, David well, was a psalmist, right? Jesus thought they were. Um, Deuteronomy eighteen: um, The nations you will dispossess. Listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, Yahweh your God has not permitted you to do so. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of Yahweh your God at Horeb in the day of the assembly, and you said, Let us not hear the voice of Yahweh our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we will see. Yahweh said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my word in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words or the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to, de to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by Yahweh? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of Yahweh does not take place or come true, that is a message Yahweh has not spoken. That, sp that prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be alarmed. Now, as we read the Old Testament, um, I just finished reading Jeremiah. Um, there were a lot of other people who were called prophets, um, who were his contemporaries. None of their words got in because, as it turns out, what they prophesied didn't come true. Um, so, 
it what? hadn't all come true by the time the Torah was considered the Torah. Okay. So how there the prophets how, were how did how did the people in Corinth or Ephesus or these places that Paul went to, how did they know that Paul was a prophet? We know he was a prophet because we're looking back and things he was, came true. He wasn't a prophet. He was an apostle, oh, not a prophet. Fine. <laughs> the, okay. It's not a trivial distinction. And, and that's fine. So I'm corrected. How do they know he's an apostle? Um, Same question. Because he said so. Exactly. Well, he, well, he was... Ex a lot of those communities were founded by other apostles who they, they learned about Jesus from Cephas, from other members of the Twelve. They vouched for Paul. But, Paul but it's, also, it's just a bunch of people saying, no, I know a guy. Yeah, no, I know yeah. a guy that knows also, a guy that knows a guy. Also, wasn't, wasn't there a dispute where uh, uh, Apollos comes in? So were you baptized in, in, in under me or Apollos? Right, and then he's like, "Oh, actually, this is the way you're supposed to do baptism." And all the people that followed Apollos is like, "Yeah, yeah, you're right. We let it," but it never like says that Apollos subscribed to that way of baptism. Well, but the dispute wasn't about how to be baptized. It was no. What was it then? Um, what was the dispute? The dispute was that they were forming cliques around which teacher had initiated them in the first place. Um, this is you're talking about the, the the opening passage of First Corinthians. Paul writes, "It's reported to me by by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you." What I mean is, some of you say I follow Paul, others say I follow Peter, others say I follow Apollo, still others I follow Christ. Uh, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I think God I didn't baptize any of you except uh, except for Crispus and Gaius. Apart from them, I don't remember if I baptized any of you. Um, but it w he goes on for several more chapters about how it doesn't matter which of us baptized you. We're all just workmen. We're all preaching the same gospel. We're, we're all preaching the same message. That's what but matters. They, they weren't preaching the same message, though. Okay, well, how, what's your what's your evidence for that? We'll 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 uh, we'll have that conversation next week. Well, Paul thought they were preaching the same message and he appealed to okay. them he in that letter that you brought up he appealed to them not to make any distinction between which teacher had initiated them but to because they're all the same because the message okay. is all the same and then he reminded okay. them this is the god this is the gospel i preached to you which you received on which you have taken your stand whether then it was I or they that you heard this from this is what we preach and this is what you believed now it's possible theoretically speaking that paul was wrong uh that he was preaching something different but it, i i think the burden of evidence is on any, anyone who claims that and also to explain well if if paul was wrong about that and they they were all they already had clicks around which which teacher had initiated them and the, those teachers taught them different things and here paul was teaching something different than what they what they heard from other teachers I have to wonder why we would even why why they would preserve his letter and make copies to keep for themselves and to distribute to other churches if Paul because had, they, because he won like why why would they not? But, but what do you mean by won? How do you win? Uh, be, because because more people decided that he was right and that people passed after Paul's death when the gospels were actually written with a hint of shadow of Paul in the background all got written post everybody. 
and Paul's word went out. We talk we talk about the, the church fathers, they're all Paul fans. We talk about Justin Martyr, he was a Paul fan. The, all, all these people who So Go ahead. Well, they weren't fans of Peter or James or the rest of them? Yeah, where's 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 their stuff? Well, we have a couple letters attributed to Peter. We have a letter from James. That that's very different than than the things that Paul said. Oh, they were different people with different emphases. But the but okay. the question is, do they contradict? Uh, do they? I, I I think so. I think there's there's some distinct things that okay. I have questions about. And I mean, do you, do you do you want to talk about that now, or is that something you no. want to say for later? No, I'm not. I'm not. I, I haven't reached. We haven't reached any kind of resolution on this for, on this other topic. Right. So so. Like, I like I said, I get I I'm and I'm actually super cool with the the rules of you know books being included in the New Testament. Like that makes a lot of sense, and I've never heard that before. So I think that's kind of a cool kind of boundary statement, right? Like if you weren't there, if you're not, you know, this isn't seven degrees of of Kevin Bacon to Jesus, right? Like you have to have actually been there and seen it and done it. Cool. Okay. Fine. But why can't there be a third? But why not have a third chunk of the Bible or a new? second book right not not bible 2.0 but like why can't there be just standalone books that are considered inspired well, i don't i don't know that there's nest, there's a there's a hard rule that there can't be but for that well there is if you're happens. solo scriptura right like that's the whole point of me bringing this topic up because well, protestants as a rule are solo scriptura right it tends to be catholics that are prima scriptura that's and that was why i kind of opened that conversation that way right catholics seem to be pretty I don't want to say loosey goosey because that sounds that sounds a little nasty, but they seem to be a lot more willing to accept inspired things that are outside of the Bible, whereas Protestants well, tend to be hundred percent not. But even Catholics don't just, like add books to no, the Bible. No, no, not to the like, Bible. Like stop, stop with the Bible. Wait. Like forget the word Bible. Let's just talk about inspired, which means you know, at a broad sense, means legitimate, right? Like well. I, I think I think you struck on something where like the the thing that and by the way I don't have a dog in the fight like this is genuinely me playing devil's well, advocate I'm just this okay. is something a thought that I've had like I'm not sitting but, here looking at like I want the triumph of good over evil I want Hasker to be considered inspired I don't think I don't know that he is like I don't think he isn't but I don't think he is but I'm simply well, saying like if somebody writes something that's like wildly deep and like like powerful. I just feel right. like we've we've created this world where everything that happens after that book was closed can't be truly inspired, even though we walk around talking about the Holy Spirit and being moved See, by God and He's working through us and we're doing God's things and we're we're you know and if you're more if you're further down the line of being uh, um, uh, um, charismatic, right? They tend to believe in a lot of inspired stuff. And again, I'm not trying to be you know, dismissive of that. But like, I just don't get why when all of these things could be wildly inspired that we wouldn't consider it to be holy. I don't think that that's, I don't think that's an accurate description of, of, I think that might be an accurate description of, of a tendency among Christians. I don't think that's an accurate description of our, of our accepted doctrine. I don't, I don't think any Christian would argue that only what's in the Bible is inspired and that God stopped talking. I mean, that, the church itself is what is inspired. I mean, the the whole point of 
if I were if I were you know the the Protestant Pope and I could just unilaterally declare creeds the way that the Pope did in the in the 11th century um, when they added the filioque, the filioque for the kids at home. The the reason that the the Eastern Orthodox Church split from the Catholic Church is that the Catholic Church unilaterally decided to add a a a clause to the. Uh, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or one of the big whichever creeds, creed but, was current, right? But it was uh, that the that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's called the filioque. Means so it kind of puts the the Father and Son above this Holy Spirit in kind of a, a well, second kind of a secondary well, level. Well, no, before it just said that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, mm -hmm. and they added proceeds from the Son. Which I think is is theologically accurate. The issue was that the Roman Catholic Church unilaterally decided this and tried to impose it in the Eastern Orthodox Church. They didn't object on theological grounds; they objected on institutional grounds. They're like, you can't bully me into telling me what I believe, yeah. and so yeah, right. Like, I'm a grown like, ass man, like, dog. Like you like, can't. This we, can, <laughs> we can talk about that, but we should have a council. You don't sure. have to just decide it. Yeah. If I were the Pope today and I was going to unilaterally impose a, a a, a clause in the creed, I would add that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and the Church, because I think that's a crucial thing that we're missing that you're kind of touching upon. It's interesting. The Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. Um, he, you know, he go. The, the Spirit is he's passed from Christian to Christian, from faith to faith through the Church. That's how we redeem. Did the you world. just assume his gender? No, it's been revealed pretty emphatically that it's. Uh, Is it? It has a gender. He, he, he's personal. That's the point of the Trinity. Is that the Spirit is? I mean, he's yeah, he's. I always kind of thought of uh, my Holy Spirit as a as a blonde woman. Well, you're you're a heretic, but uh, well, but we're kind of going off on a tangent here. But the the point the point I'm making is that. Yes, if, if anything that a, a Christian, that a genuine Christian does in, out of faith and out of loyalty to God, if you're a genuine Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Right. And you, you are living right. by the Spirit. Right. So by definition, all, all Everything could be inspired. All genuine Christians are inspired. Right. We are God-breathed. Right. We have this, the breath of God, the right. Spirit of God within us. And so, yeah, everything is— but the word canon, the word means standard. And so, like, if we were going to decide, if the three of us believe that Athanasius, that his writings are inspired, well, how do we know that? Is it because we just... Because we the really Holy Spirit like tells us. Well, but, the, how do, but how does the Holy Spirit tell us? Maybe it tells us directly. Well... He doesn't generally tell me things directly. Maybe not you. But, and I'm not okay. trying to be funny. Like this is this is where I'm not trying to be funny, right? Like we're to take the Old Testament at face value that God was speaking directly to human beings, either through His own effects or through the Holy Spirit, and Keep told talking, them things, right? So He's telling people like you, the, whatever you were quoting earlier from Deuteronomy, those were God's words. And I'm not using scare quotes because I don't believe that. I'm trying to be very specific, right? So, so God was telling this person, hey, this is how you're going to know about what a prophet is and what a prophet isn't. Word. Thanks, God. I wrote it down. I heard you, right? So that happened then. 
how do we know it doesn't happen now and it hasn't happened to somebody that has something really important to tell us that's new? That might either be new information because things change. They have and they could continue to change, right? Or things that we need to understand so that we can better interpret or rationalize or consolidate or homogenize the information so that we can... warning or... Don't stop. Hey, stupid, stop doing this, right? It might not be about something to do, but something to not do. Like, there's a whole host of... I could come up with 8,000 what-if scenarios here, but but it just seems odd to me that we've just decided this doesn't happen anymore. But who has decided that, though? That's what I'm... Everybody has by by action or if by I inaction. Up tomorrow and said that God spoke to me and I have a message. You would look at me like I had a dick growing out of my forehead. Okay. Would you not? What would you do? What would I do? What if what I would you, you told do? Me that? Yeah. I would. I will. I I use a twenty four hour rule. I'd wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but the point is everybody but, would. No, but but that's, that's my point that I'm making. Would, yes. Yes. Like we're all conditioned this way. This goes back to the DCW stuff, right? Like we've we've lost so much of that supernatural belief that we don't believe God actively talks to us. I don't think I don't think that's necessarily it. But I, I will say this: if you think God's talking to you, I don't. By the way, he, so not. this isn't. No, I'm saying this isn't me okay. personally. Okay. I'm, I'm being, okay. I'm being, I'm being, I'm being, being broad. If you think God's talking to you, he's not. I'm glad you asked, Dre. I'm happy to yeah. explain. There are times in my life when I, where I am certain God spoke to me. Um, I didn't, I, I was, I was iffy about it at the time, but he made himself clear to me. Um, He's, he's a very effective communicator. Um, so if you merely suspect that God is talking to you, he's not. He'll, he'll make himself clear. Throughout the Bible, um, there are, you know, Jesus warned against false prophets and false teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, just as there are false prophets among the people, so there will be false teachers among you who will secretly yep. introduce destruction. Got it. Got it. Um, throughout the Old Testament, like in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, there is there's this constant... Repetition of condemning those who prophesy from their own imagination. Don't listen to the prophets and the the dreams you encourage them to have, who are feeding their wishful thinking. Um, the, the The default assumption, according to the Bible, should be skepticism. If somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, God gave me a message for you. L- listen up," um, He gives you a way to know if the, to find out if if the Lord sent them. Um, one of the primary ways, not not only do their predictions come true, but is this consistent with what has been taught before? Like he told them, like even if a prophet comes to you and he does, and they and they do miracles, but they tell you abandon the Torah and follow other gods, kill that guy. Don't listen to him. Um, that's that's a little that's a little I'm not, hyper fantastical of the point that I'm trying to make. Right. Well, like I'm not suggesting somebody walk up and say, hey, we need to rip the Bible in half and stop reading these books. I'm talking about well, additional exactly. information that doesn't counter that doesn't countermand anything that's been that's been described previously. Well, but that's the so, point that I was that's the point that I was getting. At so before. we would be skeptical and keep listening. Well, yeah. And the first thing we would do is 
I mean, I don't think it. I don't think we have to render a verdict on is this inspired or not. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But the question is: is this? Is this can, one? We call the Bible the canon. It means the standard, which just means this is the stuff we measure stuff against. So if somebody, I mean, the, the Bible is the Paul and the other New Testament writers assumed there would be there would be legit prophets among the people. I mean, there wouldn't. You know, they, you don't have to warn against false prophets if if it's already a rule that there are no real prophets. You can just you automatic you automatically know if that's a, that's a, that's a, a, and that's actually a, that actually that's, makes my that's, point, that's right? A better answer to the question. Right. That that makes my point, which is which is interesting, right? That's a great way to look at it. Like, why would he say worry? About, don't don't fall to false false prophets. He could have said there will be no more prophets, right? Like it could have been very definitive, like, hey, no right. more communication from me. This, you know you know, God actual out. Um, but that didn't happen. So that's back to my point. So if we are in a belief system that says there could, should, would, will still be prophets, like what do we do with that? What do we do with a modern day prophet? And I feel well, like we don't because when was the last time we had a, a proclaimed prophet? Well, and I think that's a healthy attitude to have because if it's a real, if it's a real prophet, He'll, God will validate His word, but the uh, I mean we. Or have it murdered by the ATF. Um. Okay, Vernon Howell was not a prophet. Uh, not so much. Was that his name, Vernon Howell? Yeah, that's his real name. David Koresh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait. Oh yeah. That was- <laughs> I mean, David Koresh is a cool name. I wish he hadn't yeah. ruined it. But, uh, I like Vernon. Yeah, because it rhymes with Herman. I mean, do we know he wasn't a real prophet? Uh, well, he we don't. The ATF it. killed him before we could find out. That's right. Well, so, I mean, if, he if was maybe maybe the ATF know. maybe the ATF is the is is the arm of the devil, and this if, is if proof I, that I have I am validated in hating the ATF because they killed our now, last prophet. Now I'm definitely anti ATF, especially in the Waco thing. But yeah, they they were terrible. If, if a guy comes along and says, "Hey," uh, God talked to me. He said, I, "I'm in charge now. Now, uh, give me all your daughters. Not the not the fatties or the uggos, just the hot ones, because um, I'm the special one who gets all the all the women." Uh, he's probably he's probably not a real probably problem. not. I'm with you. I, I, but, I, but I, I tend to agree with you. I, I would have liked to have a chance to hear him out in an open in, a, in an open court versus him being quieted. Also, I, I, I agree. Are, but that's a different are, subject. Are, are, but but are all prophets infallible? None of them are infallible. So exactly. So what if he had all kinds of great information, but you know, send he was lot. also he was also a little crazy. He was he was he was hitting that yep. mess. Well, if if he's if he's using his his authority as a prophet, and now if you read the prophets, um, I mean David. Like let's look at what I'm talking about. David. David was pretty lousy as a he person. Yeah. But David never said, I am the Lord's anointed, so I get to do whatever I want. He was literally the king. He yeah. was, but he didn't. He, di- he never said. He didn't have to because like, he was king. They, they just assumed that's what it meant. Like, hey, I want that. Like, there was no differentiation back then, right? Like, okay, they were one in the same. But when an actual prophet came to him and said, hey, um, you've sinned against the Lord. David David didn't say, yeah, I'm the, I I can do whatever I want. I'm on the I'm the Lord's anointed one. 
he repented. He and he did he, it again. He, he kept doing. He, he kept doing stuff. No, he didn't. Well, maybe. Well, maybe if we had another prophet go up to Vernon and, and tell him, tell him, hey, you're wrong, man. He would. He could have been like, ah, you're right. I'm gonna repent. They should have put him but, on the phone with the head of the LDS. But the, <laughs> but an, another important consideration is, why do we need more prophets? I, that's not the point. That's for that's not for us to but decide. No, well, the, you're going back right. into this thing whoa, as if everything's whoa, whoa. perfectly boxed up. So you're telling me we're on path to Edenic redemption right now and everything's going swimmingly? Because I'd say well, quite the opposite. Well, but that your that question assumes that more profits is the answer. It ain't what when you if you always do what you always did, you're always going to get what you always got. If if we listen to like if we read the Bible, we got and still need more information god will give it but it's it reminds me of when i was uh Bro, when I was, when, when, before we had the new testament we didn't have everything we needed god had to bring a son down and kill him because we were that far off course what if okay. we're even worse off course now than we were then i would say that we are but so maybe we need a whole nother thing maybe there has to be something else that happens because we're that well, dicked up we're well, pretty dicked I up mean, Your your question presupposes that uh, we can't fix it ourselves. No, it doesn't. Yeah. You're you're inventing well, presupposition to my question. Well, well, my, well, your, well we, your we question can't fix is, it ourselves, which is the which is the point of the son being slain in the first well, place. But the point is, we're we're under a new covenant now. Right. Then right. We have God's nature within us. Right. We can be faithful. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. I mean, the Protestant Reformation is a, is a great example. I think the Protestant Reformation was more of a political movement than a religious one. But one hundred percent. Yeah, but the but the but the political change, the main innovation from a religious standpoint was getting the Bible in everybody's hands. I mean, for for the for all intents and purposes, Christians did not have the Bible for a, for about a thousand years. Because the it, it created literacy around the yeah, world, right? And, People couldn't read before the Bible, right? And so the the questions that we're asking today are not was Martin Luther a prophet or was John Calvin a prophet? I don't think they were at all. There's a, there's a great deal that I disagree with them about, especially John Calvin. Um, but heard, but what they, uh, yeah. But, but what they accomplished, getting the Bible in everybody's hands, um, who wanted it at least, um, you know, we, we haven't fully reckoned with the, uh, I don't think we've, we fully completed the political reforms that they started until the American Revolution and the First Amendment. But, um, but, I, I, but, like, that, I, but I'm going back to Brian Hanglin. So you're, 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 I mean, so sure. I got tons of problems with some of this with with Calvin and you know whatever and Luther wasn't perfect but neither was Moses. Like everybody okay. they were all they all had massive flaws. Yeah, but the my point isn't that we'll know a prophet cuz he's perfect. My point is that we didn't need we didn't need a person to have a supernatural vision of God in his throne room to be supernaturally anointed. But that don't you don't have to have that God. to be a prophet. What about something as simple but that's, as? But that's as what a prophet you, is. What about it could be someone as simple as <clears throat> uniting us, or or getting everyone on the same page of what the true vision really is? Wouldn't that take a prophet? 
Well, how would you do that, though? Uh, you t- I'm not a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not either, but I do. Maybe, maybe one day I will be. And then the one, one, maybe, maybe I'll get on my knees tonight and pray, and then be like, "Hey, you know what?" And they reveal the answer to me, and I become the guy that unites everyone. I, I am uh, Wild Stallions, <laughs> and everybody, well, and everybody's united under under me. There are two ways to get everybody on the same page. Um, Only two. Just two. Force. Put a gun to their head, make them do it, or persuasion. Okay. Um, the problem. And persuasion has a lot of branches, man. Well, so does force. A I mean, lot. Of so does force. It's, right. It, absolutely. Yeah. But so. The, so the what, question, do you, what do you mean? I mean, you guys are preoccupied with you know profits. No. No, I'm not. No, it wasn't even about no, prophecy, dude. That's, that's that wasn't even. That, that's just. Yeah, we 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 had to get hyper specific to make this conversation like have a direction. I didn't say prophecy to start with. I said inspired writing. Period. I didn't say prophecy. I never. I never said the inspired, word. Even inspired speech. Right. Inspired actions. I said all any any of those things. Right. Just anything. I guess I still don't know what you mean by inspired then and and you're, why cuz you're inspired. making you're, you're making the definition too impossible. You're asking me to give you like a, a math equation and that's not I can't give you that. I'm asking I asked a very simple question broadly speaking is why is it that we can't add to what we consider to be canon, right? And I didn't say, I don't mean the New Testament. I'm saying the Bible writ large. Why is it that it had to be that it's closed off and has been closed off for three thousand years? It's pretty pretty simple, freaking question, right? And the well, Old Testament okay. was before Jesus, so it had nothing to do with Christ, not- with the exception with the exception of a little bit of prophecy. And then the Old Test, the New Testament was all about Jesus, which makes a lot of sense. But there's been a whole lot of activity since, and we don't have any canonical control or guidelines, guardrails, whatever language makes sense. To say this is also 100% solid. The question is only simple if we assume definitions to those terms. And by the way, and I think there's a simple answer, by the way, that, okay, that we haven't got to. Because we have 18,000 denominations. And there was only really one denomination. There was one church back then. And they sat down and had, my, these, they had these ecumenical councils, right? That's my uniting point. Yeah. That's why I brought that up. Yeah. Okay. Because because back to the point of to have one universal yeah. voice, no Catholic. I mean, because you talk about like the whole thing that you were just mentioning, where the the Eastern Orthodox ripped off, right? They did that because they were being forced to do something they didn't agree with, so they split. Well, now that there's the 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 Orthodox over here, and you've got the Catholics here, now you've got the the Ethiopian Jews and the Coptics that have their own story. They got their own Bible. They don't. They're not even the, playing the, with the same canon, right? But that's that's not unique to even the first century, though. No, 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 no. I'm not suggesting that it is. My point is, is every time we add to this, then we, then we had the Reformation, so now we have all the Protestants that aren't playing with the Catholics and aren't playing with the Eastern Orthodox, whatever. That's why. That's to me. That's a simple answer. Is the answer isn't because of has nothing to do with God and has to do with politics. That's my that's my that's my position as to why we've never added to the Bible since. Hmm. 
And I, and I, I, I mean, I, I could be 100% wrong. That's fine. I'm just suggesting that I'm, I'm presenting a theory, right, or a, a position, or whatever you postulate. What I'm, I'm postulating that that's why I don't think it has anything to do with divinity, with God, with prophecy, or anything. It has to do with the fact that we can't freaking get along, and we can't even sit down and have a rational conversation. Not us, although some might argue and that then, this doesn't sound rational. <laughs> and, and if, and if you were to create something or write something or create, everybody's going to throw darts at it. Right, and then you're, you're well, you'll just be attacked because because you're a threat. Mm-hmm. But you're a well, threat because because other people with authority will lose some type of authority because of you. And the further we get away from it, the crazier it sounds. Right, like Koresh sounded like an absolute insane person. Whether he was or not is irrelevant. It's to Brian's point. It sounds freaking insane. The guy's like, God, talk to me. Like, what? You know, everybody was just like, Hell, are you talking about? You have to let me open the seals. And right. translate them before you could come take my guns. Right. Now, it, I probably I bring this up every time, but it's I do it because it's relevant. I've been reading a lot about John D. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Wasn't uh, that Alistair Crowley's mentor? Yep. No, not a mentor. He he was he was he was an inspiration. A progenitor. Uh, John D. Was, he was like the Beatles. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for the kids at home, this is this is a this is a reference to a, an ongoing conversation we've been. I having. think the Beatles are trash. They suck. I just said that, like, like I I, I have is, like you're no taking this in the, in the wrong direction, man. You're just you just you just eliminated half our listeners. No, because you're defending them, so everybody's like, okay, at least the, the smart guy knows what he's talking about about defend, music. I'm not defending the Beatles. F- fuck that Matt guy. <laughs> I, don't, I just I wasn't prepared for this to. No, was, go ahead, John D. John D. Go ahead, but John D. Go sorry. John D. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to bring it back to the. Uh, I think you guys have. The, I think you guys are asking the wrong questions. What if Bob Dylan was a prophet? I mean, he's such a great song. Nobody writer. could understand him. <coughs> oh, true. It's like, what if Ozzy Osbourne was a prophet? <laughs> <laughs> the Book of Sharon. <laughs> well. The thing, the thing that cult leaders and medieval occultist, medieval and Renaissance occultists had in common was they, they always want to bring about the end times, mm-hmm. but they, they're trying to do it through some kind of. They're trying to force it. Yeah, they're trying to force it through some kind of. Uh, <coughs> Matt has read my. I, I wrote a novel about the Holy Grail, um, right. which Matt Matt has read and it's cool. Agreed. I liked it. Thank you. Um, I was about to I was about to put words in your mouth and hyperbolically talk it up. Oh, slap those but, right at, right away. But just like tongue in cheek because I I don't think it's very good because I can't seem to sell it. But uh, but well, I mean, your writing could use some polish. The storyline was good. Okay, I, there it is. <laughs> got, wait, 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 wait. Before before we go on, so. Wasn't didn't Paul try to define the the end times? What do you mean define the end times? Well, didn't he? Well, what do you, so you're saying that a lot of the, a lot of the occultists and the cult people and the apocalyptic branches off of is they're usually wrong because of their timeline, right? Or they try to force some sort of end time. Well, I, I was about I was about to address that. Um, okay. The thing I wrote a novel about the Holy Grail because it's always kind of fascinated me. Um, a lo- it's it's kind of representative of all relics, 
and there was a time when people were just crazy for relics. Uh, these objects that, by their connection to a saint, or that, there was that Austrian, there was that Aust- half Austrian, half German dude that was super obsessed with them. Yeah, um, yeah, Hitler was was trying to uh, get the Holy. <laughs> I can't believe you said his name, you fascist. Yeah, um, ne- neo clearly, clearly, I'm a fan because I mentioned you that. are anti-Semitic. I hear, but the thing about the Grail is that the I don't believe the Grail exists. Um, anymore or ever did well yes there was a cup that christ drank from at the last supper obviously i don't think that i don't think anybody held onto that cup and said hey that's the one that that fellow from nazareth drank from um maybe it's still around but if it does exist it doesn't have any powers but the point is there was a time and there are probably still people in the world who believe it exists and and would like to find it but the premise of the Grail is that by its association with Jesus Christ, if you if you possess it and you drink from it, it gives you eternal life. It makes you immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a, depending on the, the the strain of legend, it has other properties. But and so people wanted to find the Grail, um, you know, because obvious, you know, Eter- when, eternal life has been a, a draw, right? Going back to the conquistadors right. and all that kind of stuff, sure. and yeah, the fountain but of youth if, and. Well, if you believe that about the Grail, um, if you believe this property because of its association to Jesus Christ, then in some sense you believe in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't make sense to believe in the Grail right. or to seek after it. Right. But he already promises eternal life to right. anyone who just believes in him. Right. So why do you need the Grail? Or maybe the Grail is metaphorical. <laughs> well... I think it's metaphorical, but I mean, but okay, there are I'm, people who were who are seeking I'm, it for itself. What, what's that, Dre? I'm really confused on how this ties into uh, cult leaders who are trying to bring about the end times. Because the the Grail itself represents our Brian. You're you're you're, you're, you're starting God. to break up. I don't know if you're having network if something's going wacky with your computer or something but you're can, can you hear me now yeah you yes. keep freezing and like you're freeze framing like like you're mm. like your wireless is being you see blasted my my, you're, you're my clear screen? right now i don't okay. care about your movement it was your voice that was breaking up i, I think because i was I, I was unconsciously fiddling with the, the headphone jack stop that fiddling. Might have been it. i'm sorry stop fiddling I, i'm okay I, really user error that's what that was idiot <sighs> The Grail represents the, the tendency of sinful man to try to steal from God what He's already freely promised us. Um, is, it like, is it like the fall of Eden 2.0? Kind of. The, the, the forbidden. That was gonna be, was gonna be my, my point. Yeah. Or, Sorry. Or, or statement. Or Sorry. question. Yeah, go ahead. Or okay. a sign a sign of our ongoing fall. But the thing about you know in John D's defense, like he was he was. Uh, the thing that fascinates me I, about John Will you D. please tell me why that has to do with anything apocalyptic that are trying to bring about the end of times? I feel like Andrew Moore right now. This is your first time? Wait. No. How the Holy Grail, what the Holy Grail has to do with it? No. No, you've, you, oh, you, you're in one of your like third loops at this point, Brian. Like you're, you're talking about a third topic off the second topic about the original topic. No, it's all the same topic, I promise. 
I was about to explain how like why John Dee was relevant to the Holy Grail. Like we have this tendency to to want to steal from God what He's already freely promised us. These are these these uh, occultists and and apocalyptic cult leaders. They're trying to bring about the end times. Dre just froze up. No, he's there. Okay, sorry. But uh, in John Dee's defense, they didn't really have the Bible. At least it wasn't. It, it wasn't in lay people's hands mm-hmm. for long enough for people to really dig into it, it consume it, and understand and it, it, and understand yeah. it. But he was trying to bring about the end times by by bring by get by recovering the the angelic language that that Adam supposedly spoke in the Garden of Eden and that was lost in the fall. Um, and he was communicating with angels to to get this information and he thought that if he did this he could bring about this sort of this this perfect understanding of the workings of creation and thereby transform the world back to the edenic paradise that it was originally mm-hmm. um and he he was he was very he was a very pious devout person who w- was basically uh he was basically doing witchcraft out of good intentions Basically, yeah, but it was like it was misguided because, like Jesus has already promised to do that himself. If we just do our part, which is not his part, um, which is the problem with David Koresh, and it kind of it kind of circles back to this uh, your questions about prophets and inspiration. I don't know that I don't know that Christian. I don't th- I don't know that any Christian, if you pin them down, would say no. Nothing is inspired anymore. I think I think that statement itself would be a denial of of Christianity itself because by definition we are all inspired. See, that, see I disagree with you, and here's why. So I go back to I think if we sat you sat down with a Christian and had a conversation this long leading up to the question, I think they would understand the context and they would go, "Yeah, you're probably right. Probably some probably some inspired." opportunities but i think if you just did man on the street and asked christians i think the answer would be no that's that's my that's my presumption well yeah but i think it comes down to i think it's semantics though i think it comes down to definition i think i think if you ask that they think should we add books to the bible Mm, i mean i I don't think it's, it's semantics i don't think it's any more than if you asked them what happens when you die and but we've already left books out of the Bible because we declared them not inspired. Right. Like Jubilee so, or Enoch. I mean, the well, Apocrypha itself. Yeah, but I, I think it, I think they people would defend that because they mean inspired in a different sense. See that that's and this is that, this is kind of the point that I'm trying to get at. Everybody wants this like perfect. They want inspired perfect, not inspired. Mm-hmm average or like like there's this like special level and then there's others and then there's kind of inspired and then there's dog shit it's like it's like all these layers of stuff and only the things that made this cut but this stuff's kind of mostly inspired but it's not inspired enough to be in the bible but it's inspired enough to talk about but then there's stuff that the gospel of thomas inspired no absolutely not because it's 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 written by non-christians Long after a time when Thomas would have been around to write it, have you read it? Yes. It's not. It's Gnosticism, and it's not. Mm. And it's and 
again, the early Christian communities, they knew the apostles, not just the 12, but the apostles, the people who were who knew Jesus, who had followed him or been recipients of his miracles, they had heard these stories from their own lips themselves. Um, and so when they got the Gospels, they recognized, well, this is the same stuff that we heard directly from the mouth of Peter. No. Those, yeah. those books are written 80 AD, 120 AD. Wait, so which, was the Gospel of Thomas. So Gospel on, of Thomas hold, and Hold on, back John. up, back up, back no, up, back no, up. Well, how do you, you just you just threw out some information, and I want to okay. know where you got it, and I want you to clarify what books were written in AD. In AD, Mark. You, you said eighty AD. Yes, how, Mark. How Mark. are you getting that information? I, I, everything I've ever looked at, ever, ever okay. in my life. Would you like to know why that's incorrect? Please. Okay. The. There are basically two main camps in this. The uh, the, the critical scholars who th there's the uh, <coughs> their understanding of the Gospels is that they're the product of this sort of telephone game, um, anonymous transmission of oral tradition. I, like, I disagree, but go ahead. Well, that that is the, that is the standard. Okay, then what's the, then what's the other? Then what's the other one? The others is that they were there that the traditional view is right that Mark's gospel was written by Mark, Peter's secretary, Matthew was written by Matthew, et cetera, et cetera. The reason they typically they say they were written the year seventy A.D. or later, right? Because because of the Olivet discourse, basically, um, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Um, that that happened in the year seventy A.D. Right, and so. Because they start out already knowing that, well, we know that supernatural predictive prophecy doesn't happen because there's no such thing as miracles. There's no God who speaks through prophets or messiahs. Therefore, Jesus could not have, have supernaturally predicted the destruction of the temple. Therefore, the writers attributed this to him after the fact when the temple was already in ruins. And that's how we know they were written in the years 70 AD or later because it has to have happened first before they can write it down. Um, that's that's the standard thinking for dating the Gospels by that late date. <clears throat> there are a few problems with this, though. Um, that's first of all, it's their only. And and by the way, it's worth it's worth pointing out that skeptics will then cite that date and say, "Aha, scholars." say this was written late, therefore it's not reliable, therefore re your religion isn't I, true. I didn't say it was unreliable. So, so no, here's, here's, but, here's, but, here's, but I'm I, saying I, that on behalf of skeptics, so, that's what skeptics will say. So right? check this out though, here's, 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 and I'm, I, I already, I know you're, I, I need, I want to cut this off just a little bit, one, just simply because we're at two and a half hours. Um, I do think it's kind of important for me to put the other side of that. I, 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 I know where you're going, I want to say this. You're taking so just compare, compare and contrast the book of Thomas to the book of Mark, and you're using the biblical scholar validation method to validate Mark, and you're using the non-biblical scholarly validation to disqualify Thomas. What? Because the, the date, the dating thing you're talking about. If you use non-Christian 
dating, it dates the book of Mark at 70 AD or later, sure. which puts it roughly the same time that Thomas was written. But no, you're Thomas using... Was written, Thomas was written what? in the second century. Same with John. But you, you're, well, you're splitting hairs. You're splitting hairs. The point is, either it was written by the guy or it was written by other people after the fact. And you're saying that because you're a Christian and you believe in the Christian scholars that have told you that the book of Mark was written by Mark, you discredit no. the non-biblical scholars, but because you believe that Thomas I'm, is apocrypha, I'm not doing that. You're, you're believing I'm not doing that the, non, the Christian scholars that are discrediting Thomas. Nothing I've said about the dating of any of these books, or nothing, nothing I would argue, and especially anything I've said, is anything but purely historical data. I mean, I, if I were a non-believer, I would be saying the same thing. No, you wouldn't, because you'd be listening. You'd, be, you'd be say what Wikipedia says, which is that it was written in 70 A.D. after the Second Temple was destroyed. Because that's you what Wikipedia heard. says. Okay, well, you, you can't really take Wikipedia's face no, value. Dude, I, uh, but, come on, man. If a person is not a believer, you're going to go to the internet, you're going to Google it, and you're going to start following the Google links, and you're going to discredit everything that has church in the in the in the in the website because you're not going to believe what the church is telling you. None of that has anything to do with what I just said. I, I'm telling you, I'm, the arguments that I'm trying to make for when each book was written and and why it's considered authoritative by the early church is based solely on the historical data. The fact of the matter is, whether I'm a believer or not, early Christians did not regard Thomas as authoritative because it was written in the in the in the second century, long after Thomas was dead, and it was written by Gnostics. Christ, the early Christian community, if they'd heard Thomas, they wouldn't have recognized it as anything they had heard from the apostles or from any of the people who knew Jesus, because it, it's it's a collection of sayings in support of Gnosticism. And the fact of the matter is, whatever I believe about God and Jesus or the church or either way, the fact of the matter is what I have told you about how scholars date the book of Mark, I mean the gospel of Mark, it's based on that data because the temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD because Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple Therefore, it had to have been written after the fact. And there, there are some historical problems with that. There are some problems, and I'm not saying this because I'm a believer. I'm saying this because this is what the data says. The fact of the matter, the, the standard model for New Testament composition, it's called the two-source hypothesis. The, mm -hmm. the, the idea is that Mark was written first along with a, a, a document they call Q, which may have been right. an, mm -hmm. an oral Mm -hmm. In oral yes, tradition, got it. Mm -hmm. and got then it. because you. because because <coughs> Luke and Matthew duplicate some of the material in Mark, and because they also have material in common not found in Mark, that's why they that's why they reason they were dependent on Mark and this hypothetical source called Q. But they also have material that's unique to to just to their own gospels. So the idea is Mark is written first, then Luke. And then Acts was written by the same author as Luke as a sequel to it. Mm -hmm. And none of this is controversial. This mm -hmm. is not a. I'm with you. This, this, not, I'm with you. This is what I understand as well. Yeah, right. this is not like church propaganda. This is just basic scholarship. The problem with that dating of, um, there are two main problems with this. First of all, 
when you read and when you read the Olivet Discourse, you have you have Jesus. Um, he condemns the uh, the Jewish religious leader. Says, uh, "Look, your house is left to you desolate." And then they're leaving the temple complex and the city, and the disciples are are kind of puzzled by what he just said. Well, how can you say, "Look, your house is left to you desolate"? Look at these awesome buildings here. Um, doesn't look desolate to me. And then Jesus says, "I tell you the truth: not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down." That's the, that's the destruction of, the, of that's the prediction of the temple's destruction. So they leave and they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, why it's called the Olivet Discourse. They come to him and ask him, "Well, when will this be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age?" Now, Mark has those. Matthew has those three questions. Mark, I think, just has, "When will this be? And what will be the sign that it's about to happen?" And then he commences to talk about the fall of Jerusalem, as well as his second coming. And so a lot of people, even today, they read any version of the Olivet Discourse, and it reads a lot, at first glance, it reads a lot like he's predicting that his, his what we call his second coming, which they wouldn't have thought of it that way because they didn't have a concept of a second coming, that it was just his advent. Like, when are you going to take power as the Messiah was mm-hmm. the question that mm-hmm. they essentially put to him in Matthew. <clears throat> So the, the point is, the way that the Olivet Discourse is worded is it conflates these two, it, it seems to conflate these two events. Now, I think a closer reading will say that, will show that he's actually contrasting them, because he says, he gives them all the signs to look for to know the temple is going to destroy, but about that day or hour, his advent, no one knows, you won't see it coming, it will come like a thief in the night. So he's actually comparing and contrasting them. But one could be forgiven for reading it and thinking these two events are the same. And so if, if, if the temple was already in ruins when they wrote that, and they knew Jesus hadn't come back, they knew full well that the, destruct, the fall of Jerusalem would not correspond with his return, because when it was written, according to this model, Jerusalem was in ruins and he hadn't returned. So they, if this was written after the fact, they would have been knowing. You'd think they would have they would have added some kind of note explaining why the one happened but the the other didn't. But the way it's written, it seems to conflate the two, which would be to undermine their own credibility. Um, so that's that's one problem. The still greater problem for that dating is that. <coughs> so it, uh, to reiterate. Mark is written first, then Luke, then Acts. If you read the book of Acts, it ends with an event that would have been in 62 AD, Paul's imprisonment in Rome. <clears throat> the time between Paul's imprisonment in Rome, and by the way, if you read the book of Acts, there are several key th- themes that are, that are crit- pretty conspicuous. There are, there are certain ideas that he keeps returning to, and, and it's, like the, it's about... Uh, like. Fulfillment of prophecy is a big one. Uh, tensions between the the Christians and the Jews, uh, persecution and martyrdom, um, the obsolescence of the temple. Um, these are themes that keep kind of showing up in Acts. Between the last event in the Book of Acts and the year seventy A.D., there were a whole number of events that were of inestimable importance to those themes um there was the uh the great fire of rome 
that le- that Nero blamed on Christians, which led to the Neronian persecution, which is when Paul and Peter and a lot of uh, uh, other prominent Christian figures were martyred. Um, the Jewish revolt broke out, and the final and the James, uh, the Lord's brother, was martyred by the uh, was killed by the Pharisees, and then the uh, the church in Jerusalem fled to Pella to escape the uh, the coming uh, Roman attack, and then of course the Jewish revolt, and then the fall of of the temple itself. Um, none of that is mentioned in the Book of Acts. All of that is of supreme importance to the themes that Paul that Luke was writing about in Acts. The o- the only plausible, I mean, I, there are uh, there are explanations offered, but none of them really ring true. The the, uh, the really the only good explanation for why those things aren't mentioned anywhere in Acts, so they hadn't happened yet, which means Acts had to have been completed around. You know that he 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 brought it up to the present moment in the year sixty two A.D. and he stopped writing because there was that, that that was up to date. So if Acts was completed by sixty two or sixty three A.D., that means Luke had to have been written still earlier, probably in the late fifties, maybe. Which means Mark had to have been written even earlier, which would have put it in the forties or fifties. And this comports with what we read about in the early church fathers, like Papias of Herapolis. He was a bishop in in Turkey, and he he he, he explains to us uh, he's preserved in Eusebius of Caesarea's uh, ecclesiastical history. He lived in the fourth century, but he had access to Papias's writings and a whole bunch of other writings that, that we don't have anymore. But he quotes Papias. Papias explains that Mark was Peter's interpreter. Like, Peter was not a native Greek speaker. Uh, he spoke uh, Aramaic. So when they'd, when they'd go on the road and he would, they would visit churches and he would, he would give his stories about Jesus, Mark would translate that into Greek for him. So Mark eventually uh, decided to commit it to writing for posterity because um, he had been— translated it so often he basically had it memorized and it was it was kind of the job of a disciple to memorize the uh, the spoken teaching of of their of their mentor and so that's what mark would have done and he would have been especially suited to write this because he had been reciting it over and over again on peter's behalf um and peter uh, and he recounts um mark proposing the idea to Peter, and Peter saying, you know, I don't have any objection, do that. Um, Peter, according to tradition, um, well, the death of Peter was a huge deal to the early church, from what we read in Clement of Rome and other church fathers. The death of Paul was a big deal. The death of, you know, a lot, all the apostles was a big deal. None of this is mentioned in the New Testament as in the past tense, because it hadn't happened yet. Um, and so, you know, when you take all of that and you ask a non-believer or a, 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 a an unbelieving scholar who's dating the New Testament, the, the Gospels to have been written late, they don't really have good answers. I uh, I once interviewed uh, jo- the Episcopal Bishop John Shelby Spong, who is uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but I if so-called liberal Christianity had a pope, 
it would have been this guy. He's he's an Episcopal bishop who argued, he wrote books like Why Christianity Must Change or Die, Resurrection, Myth, or Reality, and he argues for myth. Um, he's basically Say a non-believer. John Shelby Spong, he's, he's a, are, are you familiar with liberal Christianity? It's basically like, they don't, they don't believe Jesus, they don't believe God as a personal being, they don't believe, they don't take the Bible literally. Um, John Shelby Spong was an Episcopal bishop who he, who tried to kind of pass himself off as the modern-day Martin Luther. He wanted to lead a church reform where we abandon, where fundamentalism is rejected and we adopt basically a non-believer's view of Christianity. And so he wrote books like Why Christianity Must Change or Die, Resurrection, Myth, or Reality, in which he basically argues that it's a myth. That's what I thought um, I heard you say. I just I, I lost the context. Okay. Yeah. It's actually... The book is very edifying in that it, he fails to account for why the resurrection idea came about at all. He's just kind of wowed that it did, but he thinks it's like a it was a resurrection of faith or some nonsense like that. But it, it but um, <clears throat> I interviewed him once back when I was a general interest reporter, and I and I posed the question to him of, well, if you think, I mean, if you think the gospels were written late. How do you explain the fact that the book of Acts doesn't mention any of these events that were of such profound importance to the early church? And he said, well, the, 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 the theme of Acts was uh, preaching to the ends of the earth, and Paul had reached Rome, and so that was the, the logical conclusion, which is a pretty unsatisfying answer. I mean, if you read Acts and you read and you see the emphasis that, that he, pushes, he places on persecution and martyrdom on prophecy fulfillment um the tensions between jews and christians the obsolescence of the temple um all the stuff that happened from the year 62 to the year 70 that was far more important to those themes than paul being under house arrest in rome for two years um so i mean the, the more you listen to their arguments for for why that stuff is missing, I think the more confident you'll be that that Acts was was completed in the early '60s, which necessarily means Mark and Luke at least were written even earlier than that. So, I I think a simple answer to that is um, they just stopped writing it. Like I, I don't I don't I don't know why have to add all that in if, if they're talking about paul why would they go beyond that well because it wasn't just about paul but even if they are talking about paul well the first eight chapters of acts is not about paul at all it's about peter and the jerusalem church and missionary efforts um okay okay let's fast forward to 62 now where where does it talk about any other apostles than paul um, well, yeah, Luke is Luke is Paul's traveling companion, so that's what he right. knew. But, so if they if they're trying to write a book that talks about the end of that story, why would they add on the rest of the stuff that happens after sixty two? Well, like the simple what, answer to, that, that you can't get people to, an, to <laughs> a, answer is because it doesn't fit. That's why that's that's an easy that's an easy yeah, answer. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's a satisfying because answer. Because 
I'm looking back. Let, tell, me, answer, tell me something. Tell me something. Why? Why would? Let's let's take your premise. Because well, first of all, a book that ends in 1994. <laughs> I end it in 1994. No matter how cool things happen after 1994, that's it. Okay, if your book is about things that are addressed in the years after 1994, why but it's, would? But it's include? not because they because they because they validate Paul. They don't have to go past that. Paul's on house arrest. End of story. Unless they want to talk about him dying. Yeah, why uh, Why wouldn't they do that? Why not add a sentence and then Paul was martyred under Nero? And Because they and didn't, cause the book wasn't designed to be the story of Paul. That's why. It's not the acts of Paul. It, at least it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to just be... It's, it's supposed you, to be more broad. And I mean, I, I personally believe that the 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 book is somewhat structured to be a transition from the other from the other four apostles into being the rest of you know into sliding into the the, the Paul section of the New Testament and that's fine it, because well, that's what happens right Galatians Ephesians that way, Corinthians I don't think like it's, it's that way by design I think it's that way because it's convenient to write about because that's what Luke knew because he was Paul's that's traveling right. companion. Same, same. It, it, that, I, that, I'm, that I'm not saying mean. that to impart to impart like sneakiness. I'm saying like it made sense. Luke was with the other guys. Now he's with this guy. So his writing is going to, he basically is like, now I got to wrap up this part and then we're on the road and we're off doing other stuff. So we're down over here doing these things. I mean, that, but, that, that's logical to me. I'm not trying to be... my point is that the, the first... Eight chapters of the book have nothing to do with Paul. Right, because he's basically wrapping apostles. up the stuff in Jerusalem. There's still stuff going on. Luke is still in Jerusalem. And then he's off with Paul right. as his traveling companion. But so, if he wrote it after but if he wrote Acts after seventy AD, then he, the whole time he's writing it, he knows um, he knows he knows how Paul dies, doesn't mention it. He knows how Peter dies, doesn't mention it. He knows. I think. How I think we're. Lies. I think we're talking past each other in a green. I. I, I don't think well, there's disagreement are, here. But I don't think Drake. I don't think Drake. No, I think he that. is also. I think. I think. I, I don't. I don't think either. No, anybody I, here. I agree with what you're saying. I just. Right. I. I don't think there's a reason. There's. There's no reason for them to do that because they had an agenda. That's why. And but, they did. So, they transitioned. So they did. Let me, just to make just to make sure we're on the same page, just to make sure I understand you. You're saying that Luke wrote Acts after the year seventy AD. No, stop. No, neither of us stop. ever said that. I I I don't know is what I'm saying, and for you to say that that wasn't included is not proof to me. That's what I'm saying. Okay, that's not proof. I think I think if I think if you're trying to argue that the Gospels were written in 70 AD or after, mm-hmm. I I think the I think the burden is on you to to provide a satisfactory explanation for why Luke would have written Acts. I, I just knowing, did. I said because they didn't need to because they were talking about Paul. I, I just did. I, I, I don't I, know that I'm right. I don't know that I'm wrong. I know that you're. But wrong. I am. Well. I don't give a fuck if you know that, that I am. I'm just saying that... Uh, I think anybody who sits down and reads the book of Acts and sees and sees what's important to the writer... I vow to you, I will read it again. I appreciate that. How about that? That's a, that's a great, great wrap-up. We're, we're over two and a half hours, guys. I love you, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I so and I and I know I, I threw this I threw this into a kind of a, a curveball, but I thought this was an interesting conversation. I, and 
I don't, I think it turned into an interesting conversation and I think it's, it's got some, uh, a couple of, uh, tangents for us to take it into nat through natural conversations. So it looks, yeah. and it's dark, it's dark where Dre is. So, uh, <laughs> and it's, I always get nervous watching cause like people running behind you. I think you're about to get, <laughs> he's, in, he's in an armed gated community. He's, he's fine. Oh yeah. I've, yeah. I don't remember you're on. And he's in, and he's in the senior enlisted neighborhood. Who's going to jack him? Some, Okay. Forty-year-old sergeant major. I might be yelled at for. Hey, there's a regulation on. How long you can sit in your car? (laughs) (laughs) There's a there's an Almar on doing podcasts from your car in a on a Marine Corps base. I do believe you're talking about Jesus Christ and use the word fuck. It would it would behoove (laughs) you. Yeah. yeah, this is good, boys. Um, I, yeah. I, I, right. Thanks for indulging me. Um, like I said, I just wanted to—I wanted to take us down this path. I don't know that we re- fully resolved all of it, but um, I, I enjoyed. I the feel chat. like much is unresolved, but as as it should be. No, I like resolution, man. If, it was re- if, it, if we're resolved, we we're done. Go. Like all right, so yeah, so we're, we're done, guys. Like yeah. in, into this podcast, we figured the Bible out. So uh, let's move on. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. All right. All right, boys. I'm going to hit stop.